Imagine a conscious contact with God so strong that no matter what you are doing or not doing, that no matter what your kids are up to or not up to, and that whether you've got the person of your dreams or they're just not cooperating, that you are happy, content, and at peace. A space where everyone else's thoughts, attitudes, and actions are beautiful and exactly as they are supposed to be. Well, this is the space where I like to play. My name is Misha Z, and this is today's Bitch Slap. Join me as I shed light on the thoughts, actions, and attitudes that are causing you pain, and we train our minds to go to the capital S inner self, the joy that is waiting for us, the God within. So, uh, you literally are trapped in Germany with your horses. I am. Yeah, I'm trapped in That's Germany. That's insane. Yeah. Where do you, are you in like a hotel or a, uh, like, where are you? So my husband is from Eastern Germany. Um, so luckily when we were transporting our horses from, from Ireland, um, to what well, we were on our way to Greece, um, basically, so the borders, they, they locked down and we didn't have anywhere to keep the horses. So we basically knocked on random strangers doors. And luckily one of the neighbors near his parents' house, um, in his small, tiny village, um, they had like a little tiny patch of field, like a little plot yeah. of grass. So we happened to, we bought a bunch of like electric cables and we set up a little, like we fashioned a little electric fencing for our horses and they lived there for <laughs> most of the time. And now they are in a proper like boarding stables. Um, but they did, they did hang out in that guy's backyard for like eight months or something. <laughs> oh my Cause every gosh. month I kept telling myself like, Oh, surely the borders are going to open and surely we can leave next month. And you know, it just didn't happen. So yeah, here we are a year later, still, still in Germany, still in Germany. So wait, I want to go back. So you were hometown or whatever you're living in England. You, you travel to where? Tell me the story again. Um, uh, so we, we were living in England for two years. I'm, oh. I'm from California originally. And okay. our, we rode our horses across Ireland for two months. So okay. this is just like a vacation kind of a thing? You could call it that. Okay. <laughs> a bit of a stressy vacation, maybe. Um, okay. Yeah. So we were riding around for two months just to see if we if we could, kind of. Okay. Um, we didn't have any arrangements. We didn't have any places to stay. We were just knocking on, again, strangers' doors, asking for a place to stay. Like, hey, do you have a field we could keep our horses in for the night? Um, and, and we did that every day for two months. Um, and, and literally yeah. no agenda other than let's see if we can do this. Let's ride. Yeah, let's go north-ish. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, we started at the very bottom and we rode all the way. Uh, we didn't make it all the way to the very top, but we got pretty darn far considering it was almost, it was basically when we left. Um, but we rode, we rode more than about 400 miles with our horses. Wow. And um, yeah, so we did that for two months. And then, so we were trying to move, as I mentioned. Um, so I had a friend in Greece who kind of offered us to come hang out with her. And so that's where we were trying to go. And then, you know, that just didn't, didn't work out. Um, but it's funny because this village where my husband is actually from. So from my window, I can actually see the, um, the wall from Eastern Germany. There yeah. is a section of the wall that most people don't know about. So other than Berlin, there was one other village. So throughout all of Germany, there was like a fence um, and a minefield and all kinds of patrols and things like that. Well, yes. there's another small village uh, about three hours south of Berlin and that small village had about 44 people living in this village. 
That is the village where my husband's grandmother is from. And she just so happened to be, her house was on the Eastern side. So there was a little tiny stream um, running between this little 44 people village. And so that's when the Russians came, they decided that that was the border. So they built a hard physical wall and there's um, a bunch of like guard towers. There used to be, you know, minefields and guard dogs and all these things. Um, So I can actually still see it from from the window here. So it's kind of a funny place to be trapped for the whole pandemic Corona situation because the villagers here, like they're not bothered at all. Like, oh, we can't go anywhere, like whatever. Yeah. but yeah, they, they don't really speak English here, so I, I have a hard time. And I mean, my, my husband speaks German, okay. but I'm, I'm kind of relying on him like a crutch. Uh, so you're like that. isolated in isolation. Exa- exactly. In, in an old communist village. Um, yeah. <laughs> with, my, with my two horses. <laughs> Holy mackerel. So uh, hold on. <laughs> okay. So you're, you're the two-month trek from south to north ireland on your horses and how how are you eating are you like let's camp out and eat every day or are you like well we'll find a restaurant or what's how you eating um so in ireland there's not very many like horse trails in fact there's none and we didn't really realize that till we went there so we were basically riding on roads Um, so we sort of relied on whether or not we could find a small shop or maybe a fuel station. So yes, we would ride our horses to the fuel station if there was one en route and we would just like park our horses outside and grab some food and eat in the parking lot. And, um, other nights, you know, we had to, like, like I said, we were knocking on strangers doors. So the Irish are super friendly. Um, like most of the time they invited us inside or they allowed us to pitch our, we did have a tent. Um, let us pitch our tent in their, in their yard, um, or in their field. And, you know, a lot of them, they would, they would offer us like a hot meal or dinner or a hot cup of tea or something like that. Um, but yeah, there was definitely some days where, you know, we're riding about six hours every day, about 35 kilometers. And some days you don't make it to a shop. So we tried to like keep a few snacks in our saddlebags with us just in case that happened, but we didn't have any like stove or anything like that. So if we didn't find a, a shop, and we ran out of snacks, then we basically went hungry that day. Wow. Um, our horses were better fed than us, though, because Ireland, obviously, it rains a lot. So there was yeah. plenty of grass for them to eat. And um, they had lots of, like, fresh water puddles <laughs> in the road. And they were so they were fine. You're they never fine. worried about how am I going to feed the horse? Like you said, so you didn't have to, to have them. oats or anything like that. No, no, they were both fat and happy. They loved the adventure. They loved getting up yeah. every morning and, and, like, just going. And it's funny because in the evening when it starts, like just before it gets dark, our horses got into this routine. Like they would start, they knew that we had to look for a field. And yeah. my little mare, she's very adventurous. She's probably more adventurous than me. So she would start looking for fields for us. And <laughs> she's not really understanding the process that we have to ask for permission. So she would just kind of see a field that'd be like, that's the field for the night. <laughs> oh, she, oh, right. So she, yeah. she intuitively or what? Not exactly, intuitively, yeah, exactly. she would take us and commit. she's like, that's where we're staying that's for tonight. St- Oh yeah, so we, we would have to try and run around and find, you know, the owner of the field kind of a thing. And, <laughs> That's amazing. Um, or, and you know, they some like we did get turned away. You know, obviously we did have a couple of nights where we were terrified because we didn't think we were going to find a place. It's different for us. Um, but, you know, we can't just hold horses in the middle of the night on yeah. the roadside. You know, it's, it's dangerous. Oh, so, yeah. you know, like we had this kind of panic when it got close to evening, like, Oh my God, we have to find a play. Like we have to find a friendly person or this is dangerous. So we had two times where we were really scared that we might not find a place. And then luckily both times. So every single night 
we somehow always found somebody and and definitely it was because the irish people are just so friendly so holy toledo let me i want to say too i think what you we would call a gas station you called it something else what did you call it a uh uh, uh, they call it a petrol station or, yeah. yeah, or fuel station, but fuel no, it's station. Fine. There we go. Yeah. So yeah. the fuel station, there we go. Yeah. We'd call it a gas station. So just, yeah, sorry. <laughs> just in case, no, it's funny. If somebody, ha- <laughs> if I decide we're my gonna... Americanness has kind of, I, I left America about 10 years ago. So yeah. it, it depends on who I'm talking to, but my accents also change depending on who I'm talking to. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Um, okay. So you make it to Northern Ireland. And the pandemic has started or hasn't started at this point? It hadn't started yet. Um, So that was around, uh, so we finished our ride in November and we just kind of found a really cool stables to park them for the winter. Um, And so they were hanging out. They had an ocean view, these horses. They had like, life was good. So they were just on holiday for the winter time. And then I guess in February or something is when we were making plans to start moving them to the next place. And then sure enough, um, you know, when they were in the transport, like I said, that's when we made it to Germany and, and borders closed. Okay. So the next place was Greece. You ended up in Germany and the borders closed. Is that what you said? Yeah, that, that yeah was basically. Okay, yeah. cool. And then this might be too much to too much information, but financially you're like, hey, this is a two-year jaunt and then we're going to go like, what's the income source through this or what's going on there? I guess. Um, so in Ireland, so I am a professional horse trainer and coach. So I work professionally. I, I travel the world a lot, um, developing riding clubs, giving lessons, um, clinics, things like that. So, you know, this is not my first time. This is the first time I've owned horses of my own. We bought them, my husband and I in England. Um, okay. Before that, it was just, you know, me, myself and I. And so it was a little bit uh, cheaper and easier to, to jump on a plane and, and disappear, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, with horses, it's definitely more expensive. Um, basically during Ireland. So there's two things. One, I was riding around and offering, you know, giving private lessons at the same time. So I did have one situation where we were actually riding down the road and one lady rolled her window down in the car and said, Hey, I want a lesson. Like my stables is like <laughs> 10 minutes away. Yeah. And so I was like, all right. <laughs> So we rode there and, you know, like I said, we're riding about six hours every day. So we rode there. The horses had a nice little lunch break. They got to nibble on some hay and I was giving a lesson. (laughs) And, um, and then I jumped on the horse and and we continued on our our day. Um, So yeah, I was giving some lessons. And then also I do have um, equestrian adventures. It's a website that I started um, a couple years ago. It's for women who love horses, travel and adventure. So we did actually film our entire journey across Ireland. Okay. It's on Amazon prime. And we also have like a book series and stuff. So okay. uh, we were videoing the entire thing for yeah. like, you know, you don't make money at the time, but for the future, yes. some, for the someday future. I'll, right. I'll put it on Amazon and I'll put it on YouTube. And <laughs> yes. Monetize the content. Shall we? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. Okay. And so now you're stuck in. And so when I'm going to tell, uh, this is clearly turning into an interview, so I'm just going to go with it and let it roll. <laughs> and um, we are both in what's called the 2CCX uh, with Russell Brunson, right? And we're both learning how to monetize our passions and our content and our experience, I guess. Would you say that's a good way to put it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, fantastic. And so for you and I, we end up in the same coaching group. So there's a once a week once a week coaching group. And this is a, it's a high-end mastermind. So it costs us 
I get it seems to me pretty expensive, right? Would you say <laughs> way yeah? more than my horses? Let's just put it on. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. <laughs> so part of that is uh, you and I and a few others meet together in our classroom once a week. And, and you're obviously have your equestrian adventures and sort of a broader vision of what you want to offer, right? I roll in and I have, I'm starting from scratch and um, I come up with bitch slap, the accelerated path to peace, which you loved right away. If I remember correctly, you're like, yeah, that's yeah. a great title. And I was yeah. like, awesome. <laughs> so it's an eye catcher. You. That's for sure. Yes. An eye catcher. Yeah. Whether you loved it. I don't know. You were like, it's an eye catcher. I get it. And I was like, yes, I'll go with it. And so thank you. You were very, anybody listening, you were a key cog in the name of my podcast. So you, you should know that. Um, but I was talking about people I would interview and this and that, and, and, uh, you, uh, you, when you talk about horses, you say the word horsey, right? You're horsey people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you like to make fun of me for that. <laughs> I do. I do. It's just, so I'm thinking how, uh, you know, we're talking about a, everybody's going to interview everybody for their stuff. And I've got this bitch slap podcast and it's about, you know, uh, tumultuous times in our lives and la la la. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not sure how a horsey person's going to fit into this. <laughs> I think in effect is what happened. And you came back with this text that was like, um, I beg to differ. <laughs> yeah. I you, got a few bitch slaps. Definitely. You so got that, a few. That's not an issue. <laughs> that is not an issue. So why don't you start wherever you want? You had this quite impressive list of traveling to many like foreign countries, like I think Yemen was in there or weird, uh, yeah, I've like been to Yemen. That's definitely a big one. Um, I, I have this personal goal, like outside of my profession, I have a personal goal to visit every country in the world. And, you know, to be fair, I've only been to uh, 60 countries, not like a whole lot of them considering there's 193, okay. but for the past 10 years, I've been working abroad. So, you know, I lived in Egypt for two years. I lived in India for two years, which, you know, as a 22 year old single blonde woman is it's, you know, a tricky situation because I was managing all of these men who, you know, they're not too happy to see a woman in charge and, and they don't think that women can ride horses. And, you know, it's a, it's a whole nother topic. And I was in remote villages, you know, I'm not in the touristy places. So, you know, in, in Cairo, the second time, you know, I did have a vehicle, I was driving around, um, you know, I was very, I'm a very independent person. And so I've, I've just kind of been traveling, I guess, slowly, um, because I love, I love being in places like I like, you know, learning the language and eating the food and like, oh, feeling like I'm a local, like, I want to know which yeah. grocery sh stores they're shopping in. Yeah, you know, so that's kind of what I've been doing. Um, and then, you know, now that I when I was living in England, so my my husband and I, we got married um, a few years ago, we, we moved to, to England. And, um, so he was kind of working a, an office -y job. And so that's when I decided, well, okay, if you're going to be, you know, working, then I'm going to go to Iraq and to Yemen and I'll see you in a week. <laughs> so I left him in England and I went and I had some little adventures. Uh, I mean, just short little trips. Um, but I did, I went to Iraq um, for a week and I went to Yemen for a week. And um, Yemen was uh, quite intense um, because foreigners were actually not, the borders were not open for foreigners actually. Um, so I was one of the first tourists to enter the country since the, you know, the wars have, have been happening for the past few years. Yeah. So it was definitely very risky, um, but I felt, I, I love the Arabic, 
uh, culture. I do speak Egyptian Arabic at this point. Mm. And so I, I'm just very fascinated. I have like too many questions about the world that like, I need these questions answered. I can't just sit and, you know, I don't, I don't just, I'm not satisfied to like watch the news or something. Like I want to go there and see what's actually happening. Yeah. 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 So like, get, that's what, that's like, why. what's the real, what's like yeah, really what's going act- down? What's, what's the, the truth? The nuance, the, yeah. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. Because Beautiful. I, the first, the first, um, one of the first international jobs I had was in Egypt. And that was actually the day my plane arrived was the day that the Egyptian revolution started. And so I, I was there for a year, but the rest of the foreigners were all evacuated. And actually the embassy had tried to contact me a few times trying to evacuate me, but I didn't, I didn't budge. And I, you know, I was in the middle, of, I was like in the middle of nowhere at a horse stable. So I was like, you know, good luck, try and find me kind of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I stayed and, um, it was an interesting experience to be there because, you know, the tourists didn't come back that year that I worked there the first year. Um, the tourists didn't come back and I, I learned to speak Arabic um, and I saw a lot of the things that, you know, you don't see on the news and it, it really opened my eyes. So that's why I, I like to kind of go and explore and, and experience things for myself. And yeah. Cool. So the, so the Egypt experience that year where, where, tourists get kicked out you're sort of the the lone holdout um in a in sounds like a perhaps a remote part of egypt or at least not what i'm seeing on tv when i see well egypt, it, right? i was in cairo but i ran a horse stables you know what yeah. i mean and the people who own horses in, in most of these countries that i'm working they they have money okay. they're the wealthy people they're, these okay. are the elites okay. so you know it was a walled-in compound um and I was forbidden to leave the stables for the first month that I was there. There was a curfew at like 12 in the afternoon. We were worried about how we were going to get groceries. So my boss would just tell me, like, write down what you need on a piece of paper. I can't guarantee I'm going to get it, but I'm going to find something. And he would disappear. And we don't know how he would get our groceries, um, but somehow, you know, he got them. <laughs> so, you know, we were, we were kind of okay. And there was only once where I did hear gunfire. And, you know, after that, you know, the police were all banned, uh, not banned, but there was no police. And here I am a 21 year old blonde girl, green yeah. eyes. I, like I'm super tall. I'm white. I stand out. Yeah. And um, there's no police in the country, which yeah. is a bit scary when you're a, yeah. a single woman in a, How in a tall are you? I'm five foot eight. Okay. And um, so anyways, yeah, I was, you know, there's no police and um, I was definitely a bit nervous, but you know, I was, I was there with horses and yeah. I was like, you know what? Like it, First of all, you can die anywhere. <laughs> like there's dangers in America, you know? Yeah. So I, I really felt this like calling, like, no, if I don't go now, like there's always going to be a reason not to go. Yeah. So when so, you say you can die anywhere, you mean whether you're in America or you're in Egypt. Yeah, exactly. Like, I could die yeah. in a car accident. Totally. You know what the I mean? illusion so, of security is just that. It, yeah, exactly. So, you know, for me, it's like, well, if I die in Egypt or if I die in America, like it doesn't really matter because I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. So at least I'll, I'll take the chance and I'll go there and I'll, you know, like I said, I mean, I'm with horses, like I should be relatively yeah. safe, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, um, and I'll just kind of see, see what happens. And, and I'm glad that I did go. Yeah. So, so, so that when you said that they had a hard time getting you food or, or we'll see what we can get you, is that because a, you're sort of an American female and nobody's supposed well, to know you're there or during, it's just in during, general. Yeah, go ahead. During the revolution, what happened was... What year um, is this, by the way? This was 2011. 2011, okay. Yeah. Actually, to be honest, the revolution, the whole experience in Egypt lasted about one month. But according to the news, it's been happening for for years. I mean, it, it, you know. And um, so anyways, during the revolution, what happened was, so there's no police and everyone's sort of um, protesting at Tahrir 
uh, which is the square in, in the center of Cairo. And so they're protesting. And you know what? Honestly, a, a lot of it was very peaceful, um, but they're protesting. And so, you know, there was some rioting. You know, people were trying to loot the, the stores and trying to get yeah. food. And, you know, there was a lot of chaos because there was no police and the army were there, but they weren't actually ordered to do anything. They were just observing. Um, so, you know, there was this big, I mean, imagine a country where there's no police and people can do whatever they want and all of the stores are closed, you know? So yeah, there's people breaking into the stores. There's people yeah. doing, you know, bad things. Um, but yeah, so I don't, I, I didn't leave the stables in that first month. After the first month, I did. I did leave the stables yeah. and I did drive around. I went to Tahrir. Of course I went. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like, I went to You're the... like thirsty yeah, for go. the adventure. Like, I want to see up? it. Let's see yeah, it. I want to see I'm it. I'm here. I'm too close not to go. Yeah, exactly. So I, I did. I went and I saw, you know, the, the army guys sitting on their tanks um, holding their AK-47s or whatever. And some of the buildings had been burned down um, right across from the museum um, but I, I went and I went to the museum and I, um, the museum was untouched because actually what happened, this is a story that I was um, told. I don't think you'll find it on the news. Yeah. Um, but basically a lot of the Egyptian people, you know, they're very proud people and, um, they protect, you know, their women and their family and stuff. So what happened when there was no police, the Egyptian people started kind of policing, they started stepping up and becoming the police. Yeah. And so I was um, told from some, you know, friends of mine that um, there were some rioters that tried to loot the artifacts and the Egyptian museum. And what happened was the Egyptian people saw them trying to loot all of these precious, you know, artifacts, yeah. and they stopped them, they beat the crap out of them, they stopped them, wow. and they put all of the artifacts back. So wow. all of the artifacts in the museum were, were untouched. Um, during the entire, you know, revolution and everything, wow. even with no police and everything. Um, so yeah, I, go ahead. No, I, so when I was driving around in top rear, I did, I did see, you know, like young boys with guns, but they were like directing traffic, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like policing, policing the traffic and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, so it was out a, of it body. Was and when you, when you yeah. say young boys, we're talking like nine, 10, 11 year old young boys. Uh, you're probably like 12 or something 12. like that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, holding a gun is a little bit. <laughs> it's kind of freakish, right? When you see somebody that like, because the guns that they're holding are big. I'm sure they're AK-47s. Exactly. Or yeah, like, exactly. Or big rifles. The, or big yeah. rifles. Yeah. yeah. And then it, they're so. the kids, a 12-year-old or 13 or 14 is going to look freakishly small. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he's so, directing traffic. So <laughs> what? Tell me, tell me. So this museum thing or not the museum thing, but this, this experience with the museum, like, what does that suss out in you in the moment? Are you like in the moment? Are, do, are you like, Oh my gosh, humanity, or is it more of a slow build or what's like, what's going on with your awareness of people and, and stuff? Yeah. At this yeah. point, I've been to so many uh, countries and, and a lot of places where a lot of people are scared to go. And I've, I've done it as a solo blondie girl. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, at this point, like there are so many kind people. I mean, honestly, most of the, of the, you know, sticky situations I find myself in or something like it was a person that helped me or, you know, it was a local auntie who kind of protected me or, you know, became yeah. mama bear sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, so you, you do find more kind people. Of course, there's always going to be, you know, some people, the, yeah. um, of course. And, and you definitely have to, you know, as a solo woman, you need to be smart. Yes. Um, but, you know, there's, I would say there's way more kind people than there are 
the bad ones. And usually if you enlist the locals, I mean, the first thing I do, if you told me, you know, I have a flight tomorrow to, I don't know, Somalia or something. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to chit chat with, you know, my taxi driver or whatever, like, Hey, what are the local scams? (laughs) What should I watch out for? And they love sharing it. Like they'll just fill me all oh, like, oh yeah, don't, don't do this. And oh yeah, there's this guy I know. He always tries and does this to the foreigners. Like don't rent your motorcycle from him. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and they like instantly want to protect you and they want to help you. They're like, yeah. they see you as one of them and not as, you know, somebody to kind of rip off or scam or, or try something with. So that's, yeah. that's usually what I do. I kind of play the, the big brother card, you know, and uh, yeah. I enlist them. And, and it works every time. So, yeah. (laughs) And then, so tell me off the top of your head and it doesn't even need to be Egypt, but in your travels, like, or maybe we could stay with Egypt. What, what's sort of the heaviest situation, top two, three, four, or whatever. Tell me where the auntie comes to your rescue or the serendipitous moment or the bitch lap or. Oh man, I have a few. Um, if you want, like, hmm, I guess it, it could go in either way. It could go either like women safety wise, or it could go just scary experience wise. Um, Yemen was definitely one of those intense places because it was at war. Um, okay. So definitely quite a few scary things happened there. Um, and then in India, I, I mean, every single day was a battle for me in India because, you know, it, the way... I learned how to deal with the male culture in the Middle East um, and the way that you kind of talk to the men and like, how how do I say, like how you deal with the men there is a little bit different than in India. So the stuff I I tried that would keep me safe in Egypt or in the Middle East didn't work when I went to India and I was getting, you know, grabbed every day or men are trying to attack me or, you know, different things. Um, But yeah, in India, I definitely had a few situations where it could have been bad. Um, one example would be, so I was working in a remote stables in um, Punjab. Again, there was no foreigners there. This is not a touristy place where I was. Um, somebody had invited me there to start a riding club. And I mean, like I was bringing in architects. I was training all of the staff. I was training all of the horses. This was a huge project. Okay. And all of the people in that area had heard that there's a white woman at the stables and it spread like wildfire. And I do remember I, so I started working a lot with the grooms, with the men and some of them, I actually won their respect and, you know, I kind of did the big brother thing. And so I was coaching them and I was working with them and um, they didn't speak in English, but I was really taking the time with them to help them because I wanted to make the club, the riding club still run even when I leave, even when I'm gone. So I needed them to learn. And so I did get quite a few of the men that in the beginning, they were like, you know, oh, woman, uh, you know. Uh, But then the more I was there, the more they wanted to learn from me. So, you know, I had quite a few of them that they, they did, they kind of uh, saw me as their, their younger sister, let's say more than maybe a boss, well, a boss as well. And so one day, that's how they were able to get into the mindset of we can work with this person or work with you or however you want to say. I could boss them around a little bit and they weren't as offended by it. Yes. Yes. There (laughs) we go. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So anyways, I, you know, again, it kind of spread like wildfire and basically what happened was, um, so this was a private yard. No one was allowed to come to the stables. It was just a guy who owned this, this property and and 70 horses. And um, what happened was one day a tractor broke into the property carrying a trailer of probably 50 Indian men. 
and they were searching for me and they were intent on finding me. And I did see them um, driving through the property. And as you know, what happened was when I saw them, this immediate, I saw their eyes and I knew exactly what they were there for. And I kind of froze, but luckily one of the men who, like I said, was kind of my, my brother at that yes. point, he saw what was happening. He started shouting at all the men to like grab whatever kind of weapons they could makeshift. And he basically like shoved me into this tables and was like, hide here and don't come out until I tell you to. And so they managed to chase all of this group of men away. Luckily it worked. I think the men were taken off guard because they weren't expected to be kind of attacked basically. Yes. Um, so they did flee like thankfully, because there was more of them than there was of us, but I think they didn't know that. (laughs) So it it somehow worked. Um, But that was definitely an intense situation in a, in a scary situation. And I've had, I've had lots of things like that in India where a lot of times I've had stuff happen where I really wish that they would kind of tell women about this stuff because it's not stuff that we're aware of. Um, But it is stuff that like, you know, you, you have to, um, you have to enlist the local people. You have to get, like I said, that auntie to kind of, because yeah. she knows how the men are there. You yeah. know what I mean? Like those aunties serving you tea in the local shop, like she knows. Yes. So as soon as you go to her and you're like, auntie, auntie, yeah. <laughs> she will turn on the, and even if you don't speak sure. a word of Hindi, she yeah. will start cursing them out and chasing them away <laughs> with a dirty rag. Or, you know what I mean? Like she will do that for you. So like, you don't even have to. Yes. And, and then she'll give you your hot tea and, you know, like, oh, <laughs> you know, yes. So, you know, you definitely learn to kind of do to do stuff like that and, and to be a little bit vulnerable, you know, yeah. and, and to allow yourself to be helped by others. That's yes. something that I I think I have a hard time even nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different when I'm out of my element in those countries and I have to like, hey, I need yes. a place to sleep for the night. Like I have to. Yes. Um, you know, if not for me, but for my horses now. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, it was definitely a, a bit of a like set my ego aside and like just let them they know better than me. Yes. I love that. So tell me, uh, so cool that that's a uh, that's a woman safety issue. We'll call that India experience right there. How yeah, about an yeah. India? Yeah, how about it? And it sounds like it checks both boxes of a scary safety wise issue. But <laughs> how about another? How about a scary safety wise issue in India, where you were like, just the circumstances where maybe it had nothing to do about being a woman, but just like, uh oh, I'm in over my head, or I don't, I don't know if you ever thought I'm in over my head. Well, but. yeah, one of the things that happens quite a lot in a lot of countries are scams. You know, yeah. they see you as a walking ATM. Yeah. And I can share with you if you'd like um, in Cambodia. So it's very common scam. This is this is not so much um, scary, but this is a true story. So I had heard that in Cambodia, it's very common that they kind of rent these scooty bikes and motorcycles to foreigners, and then they steal the scooty bike and they have your passport and they basically blackmail you, you know, in exchange for your passport, a, a okay. crap ton of money. Let's just say that. Yes. So I was very aware of the scam going into Cambodia, but that didn't stop me from renting a scooty bike, of course, <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> because I love it. <laughs> Of course. And um, anyway, so I'm in Cambodia and I did this stupid mistake of uh, I found like there was a group of backpackers and they were kind of going to the same place that I was going. So we all kind of joined forces for a couple of days and we went to kind of rent these scooty bikes. And I didn't realize because I was so busy. I found a scooty bike I wanted and I, I still saw myself as this like solo independent traveler. So I didn't really associate myself with this group yet. So I was like taking pictures of my scooty bikes license plate and like making a show of it so that the guy 
the Cambodian guy like saw that I knew what my scooty bike looked like kind of a thing. Yeah. And anyways, the, the guy, you know, the, one of the backpackers, he came to me and he's like, all right, everything's good. Um, just go and give him your passport and, and we can go. So I go and I give him my passport. Well, I find out later that apparently these backpackers made me give my passport for the entire group. Uh, and it was like five people. I was so furious. I found this out because lo and behold, this boy gets his scooty bike sco- stolen that same night. And he was drunk. He left his, he went like to a bar or something. So I wasn't even there. I wasn't even with yes. him. He comes back to the ho- uh, hostel where I was also sleeping. And at like 3 a.m., you know, I was like dead asleep at 3 a.m. He like bursts through the door. He's from Manchester. So he's got this like horrible thick accent that I can't really understand when he's drunk. But he starts screaming, my bike, my bike. <laughs> they stole my bike. Yes. And I'm like, oh, my God, what? <laughs> like, tell me everything. And um, and I like I had been taking a lot of precautions with my bikes. So, yes. you know, I was in no danger of my bikes. I actually had convinced the hostel owner to park my scooty bike every night inside the hostel. Yes, genius. <laughs> and, and they were totally fine with that, by the way. Yes. Um, I just like tipped him a little bit or whatever, yeah. and, like, job done. And um, anyways, so, you know, I was like, oh my God, they have my passport, which means they're going to come to me for the money. Like these backpackers are going to like just disappear. Like they don't care. And, um, and they've now stolen this bike. So I now was like, okay, this is now my problem. And I don't trust this drunk guy to, to fix this. Yes. So what I did, I kind of stayed awake all, all night thinking about what I was going to do. Yes. And the sun rises at like, I don't know, 530. And I'm out the door. As soon as the sun starts to come up, I'm out the door. I don't know why, but I just knew. I knew where he had parked his bike. And um, I walked down the street and I found the area where he had kept his bike. And I saw that the shop there had their um, kind of doors open like halfway you know those like metal yes things yes that they open. yes so it was yeah, halfway the little, open uh, the little, so i yes. get very suspicious and i see that right next to this shop there just so happens to be a scooty rental shop and in this small alley there is another there's a man sitting guard in a chair yeah. which to me is kind of a red flag and behind this guard there is a like wooden board blocking something Yes. And to me, this is like too many red flags. Yes. So I pre- I play, you know, dumb blonde kind of foreigner card. And yeah. I like wander past this guard who's sitting there and peek behind this wooden board. And I see his scooty bike. Yes. And I like my heart starts pumping because I know, you know, I'm not able to overpower this man kind of yes. like, to like jump on the scooty bike and disappear <laughs> into the sunset. So my heart's pounding. And, you know, I've I've I've. <laughs> I speak enough languages, you know, when you like hear somebody, you don't understand the language, but you know that they're talking about you. Yes. Well, this guard, when he that. saw me approaching, he actually started making a phone call and he was kind of panicking. And I knew in my heart that he was calling the guy who's going to move the bikes to place number two. Yeah. I just knew it. I didn't understand a word, but I just knew. You, like, you just he's knew talking it. To That's the what's guy. going down. This is he's what- about to move the bike. Yeah. Like I need to hurry. Anyways, this guard, he sees me peeking behind this wooden thing that I'm not supposed to see. And he jumps up and he kind of blocks my way. And he's like, why are you, what are, what are you doing? And I kind of point to the shop, uh, you know, the scooty bike rental shop. And I, you know, I'm playing the dumb blonde card and I'm like, Oh yeah, I want to, I want to rent a bike. And he's like, no, no, these bikes, not, not for rent. Um, come back later. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, fine. So I walk off. As soon as he can't see me, I'm running full speed back to the hostel. 
Yes. And I'm running full speed. And I, you know, this guy from Manchester, he's one of those huge, he looks like a rugby player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I basically throw dude. my shoe at him and I'm like, get up, get like up. you drunk man, like get up. I found your bike, but we have to go now because it's not going to be there in 20 yes. minutes. Like it's going to yes. go yes. to plan B. And um, he gets up and sobers up very quickly, by the way. And we both run to this this spot where the bike is. And I, and I point down the alley and I'm like, there's a guard there. Don't even look at him. Just go straight to the back. Get on your bike. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Just do it. Like, and he's a big guy. Exactly. So that's exactly what he does. I kind of go and distract the guard and he walks right past him, gets on the bike, pulls next to me, kind of motions for me to jump on the back. (laughs) Oh my (laughs) gosh. And and it's like the greatest game. (laughs) And we exactly. And we drive away. Um, so what, yeah, is he I, yelling I, in the background, like, ah, da, 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 da. you know, he started to, and then he saw how big this guy was, this guy yeah. from Manchester and he, he turned into a kitten. It was like, Oh, sir. Oh, this is your, but Oh, I'm so glad oh. you came here. <laughs> we were holding it. Like we are keeping it safe for you. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's, so, that's amazing. <laughs> That's a good one. So Yemen is like you're in Yemen at, at the in the heat of it sounds like I mean I just hear the name Yemen, the country Yemen, and my brain goes uh chaos, right? Or like strife, or like you know, like I'm not a place that Misha's thinking, let's go hang out. Cause... Yeah, that's that's definitely not the place you should first go as a newbie traveler. Definitely yes. not. <laughs> um, so again, I do speak Egyptian Arabic. So when I went, um, the Arabic was similar enough, actually. Um, so I did spend the night, uh, I think two nights with these, um, with a family and they, the ladies, you know, all of the men left the house. They're like, oh. okay, we have these, it was actually me and my mom, by the way, <laughs> oh. my mom is an ex police, ex military. Um, oh. so when I told her, Hey mom, I'm going to Yemen. I don't know. She kind of felt this mommy, like I have to come <laughs> <laughs> like Crystal, you've gone on all these plates. Like I'm coming for this one. Okay. So, right. Yeah, anyways, this one, my, you may need my support. I bring my mom along. And when we cross the border, um, the first thing I, I found a fixer because, you know, they don't have tours. I found a okay. fixer to kind of drive me across the border. And the first thing he does when we cross the border is he throws two um, kneecaps and burkas, you know, those all black veils. Yes. I have to cover my face. He's like, you cannot be found out that you are American. And I'm like, well, what happens? He's like, it's a 400 mile drive from here to where we want to go. Yeah. It's going to take us all day to get there. There's going to be, we counted on the way here like 50 or 60 military checkpoints. He said, it cannot be found out that you are American at any of these 60 checkpoints. And I asked him, well, how can you know that they're not going to find out that I'm American? Like, what if they asked to see my ID or something? He's like, no, no, I am the man. If you two are like, you know, in Yemen, um, because, you know, we're wearing all black veils and everything. He said, men cannot address women that don't you know, it's not their mom. It's not their sister. It's not their wife. So they can't address or acknowledge them. So he's like, don't worry. As long as you're with me, like they cannot, um, you know, ask for your ID or anything like that. So I was like, all right. So I'm just trusting my life with this man. I've just known for like 12 seconds. Holy, you and and your mom. Yeah. My mom and I, we wear the, the all black kneecaps and yeah. Hold on one second before you go further the fixer. So he's like a legit fixer. Like he's going to fix the situation to allow you to get through the checkpoints. Like this is le- a legit term. This is like, uh, this is, this yeah. is like adventure go, movie, Hollywood exact, yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. If, if you're watching movies like Indiana Jones or something, the fixer is the like local, I don't know, Peruvian guy who's getting you to the temple. 
so that Indiana Jones can go in and steal yeah. the jewels away. Like that's the Sweet. guy. Yeah, I love so, it. This is a fixer. He's not okay, a tour so you guy. Got the you fixer. Like, he's a fixer. Yeah. Okay, he hands you and, the stuff. Um, Put this on. Yeah, exactly. Dude, this, this is on. like real. This is amazing. Like you're the mini now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And um, anyways, he let me drive. By the way, it was a lot of fun. I was driving with my burka and my veil, and um, yeah, it was uh, interesting because I couldn't see very well. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so I was driving for a ways, and he was like, "Okay, I think we're coming to a, a military checkpoint. It's probably best if they don't see a, a woman yeah. driving." <laughs> yes. Um, so he he took over after that. But anyway, so we did stay um, a couple of nights with um, a family that this fixer guy fixed. <laughs> so <laughs> and I, I, which um, is all is the crazy. men left. I mean, it's like the fixer loves adventure. You love adventure. You got some family out there. It's like, heck yeah, let's take the rogue, the rogue American women. Bring yeah. them in. Why yeah. not? Yeah. And you know what? Um, I spent the the evening with the ladies. And so it was, oh, gosh, I can't even know because there was like so many of them, but there was like the neighbor lady. And then there was the the wife of the the man who, you know, the house was. And then there was yeah. like his I don't know, oldest daughter and youngest daughter. And like, there's a whole bunch of ladies and I do speak Egyptian Arabic and it, you know, all of the men left, like my fixer left because they're not allowed to be in the, in the house with all the ladies. Okay. And obviously the ladies take off their, their veils and everything. Like we're all having a, a girly time. Yes. And, um, and they're just asking me like so many questions about America. Luckily I, I understood them and could translate for my mom. And so, you know, my mom's showing them pictures of America and they're showing us pictures on their phone and they're like asking us questions and they're just like having the time of their life. Yes. And um, yeah, so that was a, a fun, fun experience. Um, I mean, in, in that sense, it was also a bit scary. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, we basically for, for this time that we were in Yemen, we, we couldn't, it was very stressful. It was very intense because we couldn't really leave the vehicle. And my fixer had arranged between this family. This family um, actually had two men um, that were brothers and they were, I think, both in the police or one of them was in the police. So he actually knew where the because the terrorists are very active in that area. Al-Qaeda and also ISIS <laughs> is the ones you don't want to be caught by. Al-Qaeda, yes. they're going to try and you know, get a ransom, but you'll, you'll yeah, probably right. live. But ISIS oh won't. So he kind of knows roughly like the whereabouts of where we should avoid and where we should go. And we weren't allowed to actually go outside of the vehicle very often. Um, And it was definitely very scary. I will say, I don't know how much of this you want to hear, to be honest, but I will say the scariest thing. Scariest. Get after it. Yeah, the scariest thing. Well, we had gone through a checkpoint and um, this checkpoint was right outside the village. And what happened was, so my fixer had arranged with these two brothers that we should change vehicle like every couple of hours. Like we should not be in the same vehicle for more than a day because he didn't want the terrorists or anyone to know of our whereabouts. We wanted to always keep them on their toes if they knew about us. Um, And so we had to change these vehicles. And I remember one of the guys in our car needed something from one of the shops, but I don't remember exactly what it was. So the, our guy who was driving again, he's a, he's a police officer or ex police officer. He was driving and he drops the men off. So the men jump out of the car and they go to the shop. You know, this is normal for them. There's men walking around in AK-47s and machine guns. And there's these big trucks with those huge, like huge machine gun things that you see in movies like Rambo. Yeah, you know, yeah, on yeah. The, on the back yeah, of the, the truck. Big, the big, and there's, yeah. there's two or three guys on there, you know. And um, anyways, this is like the normal. There's just people walking around like machine guns. They were like, this is normal. So the men jump out of the car. And my mom and I are, are now alone with this, you know, police, ex-police guy who's who's driving us he doesn't want to sit there he doesn't want to sit still so he starts driving around and he yeah, starts 
driving and he'll park somewhere for like a minute and then he'll drive somewhere else and park for a minute. And he's doing all of this stuff, like constantly moving us around. And my mom and I can't speak to him. Like he's very intense in this moment. Like he's obviously observing and aware of, of what's happening. Right. And he is like all of a sudden he okay. starts getting really nervous, like more nervous than he was. And he calls our guys on the phone and we, he drives and they were waiting for us. They jump in the car and he drives away. And we drive through this, this um, kind of military checkpoint and we drive through and we actually pull over on the side of the road because that's where we decided was the safest place. We were going to have our lunch or something. So we actually get out of the car um, moments after driving through that checkpoint. And all of a sudden we hear machine gun fire. And in Yemen, where we were, it's basically surrounded by these canyons. It's like we're in a bowl. There's nowhere to run, by the way. Yes, like we're yes. in a bowl. You're it's absolutely bowl. beautiful, by the way. Yeah. Yemen, okay. one of the most beautiful places. Gorgeous. But we're in like this bowl. Lush and green, kind of beautiful. Um, sort of. Um, yeah, there's a lot of lush and green, but also these canyons, these like wadis, they're, yeah. you know, desert and the houses are made of mud. And it just yeah. looks like another planet. It's, it's very beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And we hear this machine gun fire. And it's, and it's loud. coming from when you that. Say it's, it's, I've it's, heard machine gun fire. It is loud. And when you're fire. in a bowl in this canyon, it echoes, it ricochets off of the canyon. And it sounded, I mean, extremely close. Like we were very close to this. This wasn't a mile away or something. Like yeah, it was this next is to like, us. Yeah. And it's echoing and ricocheting. And our, all of the men that we were with, they told us like, just act normal. We're just a family having our lunch. Like don't even look that way and just be normal. So we go and we start having our lunch. And later on, oh we find God. out. So we go to our um, our evening like meal or whatever with the with this family. And the two brothers are there. And I'm asking the fixer, like, I want the truth. Like, lay it to me straight. Yeah. Like, what happened at that yeah. checkpoint that we crossed? And the guy told us that actually moments after we went through, um, it was attacked by some of the terrorists. And several people were killed, uh, some of the police were killed and they they tell us you know it's very creepy um there was a lot of situations where they the stuff you don't see on the news like they tell us how many bullets killed this person they tell us where the bullet impacted this person like that's how detailed they're getting they know the details yeah. and when you're sitting there and i'm looking in the face of this man who he's i'm there for a temporary you know what I mean? Like I'm yeah, just yeah. visiting. You're just yeah. His family's there every single day. Oh my like God. they live there. Yeah. So as as scary and and such it is for for myself having you know being there, at the same time I kind of look at his face and I look at his family's face and his daughter's faces and I'm thinking to myself like, I'm gonna leave soon. Inshallah, like hopefully if all goes well, I'm gonna leave in a few days. But like these family are here every single day. This is their you know normal. like this is their normal. Yeah. Wow. And and that's a scary feeling. That's a scary. So, I just got the chills. That's incredible. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. So tell me what's the like. What? So you just went there purely for the adventure? Are you literally? Did you have an agenda at all, or what was your agenda? Um, I mean, I a, I wanted to have some questions answered because I do love the Middle East, and there's a lot of questions that I need answered. Just I think for my own personal self, uh, my whole family was military. And when 9-11 happened, my dad was deployed and my brother was deployed and, you know, my whole family has been deployed. So, you know, unfortunately, we had this kind of negative view of Muslims and Islam and, you know, all this stuff. And I think for myself, I wanted to know the truth. I wanted to know about 
the religion. I want to know about the culture. I want to know about the people. I want to know about why we were there in the Middle East. Like, why are okay. Americans there dropping bombs? I need to know. That's the answer and, you're looking for. Yeah, I just want the answers of why and and everything. And, you know, again, there's a lot of stuff that's not on the news. And it just felt very important to me to kind of go there and experience it. And I don't know why I, I'm so fascinated um, by Arabic culture and like the Middle East in particular. Yeah. But I am definitely very, I think, drawn to the mysteries there. And, yes. you know, every time I, I visit and I do find the answers that I'm looking for, you know, I do learn a lot. And I do, you know, as I said, it's one thing to see it on the news, yeah. you know, oh, you know, they'll like play it for like two minutes. Yeah. Like, oh, there's a catastrophe in Yemen. And then, you know, it's the next piece. But when you're there and you see it and you meet these people, you know, after, after I left from that, I did several things to try and raise some money to help, you know, the fixer and his family. I actually yes. um, somehow managed to send his daughter to college, which was I felt very proud of. So, you yes. know, I went there to experience. And because I went there, this girl got to go to college, which I find amazing. So, you know, there's I, I feel like if I hadn't gone, she wouldn't have been able to go to college. Like that would have broken my heart that this girl you know, who dreams of going to college and being, yes. a, I don't know, a dentist or whatever it is yes. like that she wouldn't be able to go. So, you know, something good came out of it. I can't help everyone, yeah. but maybe I, I helped her. I helped this family or, you know, I, I did something at least. That's, that's beautiful. So it's like a, 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 a dual agenda, a get answers and look for how can I be of service? Yeah. It, yeah. Yes. And, and sometimes you can't really help, but sometimes just listening, you know, mm. I met a lot of ladies in India as well. And they would share me stories that, you know, they don't tell the men this stuff. That's the one nice thing about being a woman. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm there with the ladies. They take off their hijabs. They take off their face cover. Like they will share with me. And I've met a lot of ladies in India and it broke my heart to hear their story. But at the same time, it sort of, um, it made me feel very special that they shared it. And also I feel like it somehow was healing for them mm -hmm. to share. Mm. You know, even if it didn't change their life, they're still living that life. But I, I feel like it somehow helped them. Mm. Can you, that's beautiful. Thank you. Can you put into words for me these questions? Like you go to Yemen, I've got questions. And then you tell me, I got the answers. When you've gone on these trips throughout these Arabic countries, I've got questions and you've got, you've gotten the answers. Can you verbalize those questions and answers for me? It's a little bit difficult, I feel, because I've been doing this for so long that my, my I guess, questions and level of understanding has evolved. Like in the beginning, you know, when I first lived in, in Egypt, I didn't know really about Ramadan. So I fasted for Ramadan. It's, okay. it's one month long. And I, I fasted every day for Ramadan because I wanted to experience it. Yeah. And after that, you know, I now know what it feels like. So now when I meet people who are fasting for Ramadan, you know, they'll, they'll start saying like, oh, it's Ramadan and oh, you don't know how hard it is. And I'm like, oh, well, actually, <laughs> yeah. I, I fasted before. And then yeah, they immediately this. have this like instant respect for me. And they're like, wait, what? You fast? Like, why? Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not even your religion. Like, why? Um, but yeah, it's hard to say like specifically the answers. Um because it depends on where I'm going and, and what answers it is that I'm looking for. But I, a lot of the times it's, I try and find out, I guess, stuff that you don't see on the news. I try and find out like the people, I want to know about yeah, the people yeah. that are living there. 
You know, yeah. when I went to Vietnam and I saw, I went to the museum and, you know, I grew up with hearing about the Vietnam War and in Vietnam, you go to the museum and the in big, huge letters across the building, it's called the American War Museum. And it's so <laughs> crazy. So like, oh body, my God, right, I'm 20 some odd years old, you know, at this time when I'm in Vietnam, I'm 20 yeah. some odd years old. Never did it occur to me their side of the story. Do you know what I mean? I've always heard yes. of it as the Vietnam War. Yes. And to see it in big letters, the American War Museum. And I got to tell you, that museum, I was crying my eyes out. Some of the pictures and the things in the museum. I was like, oh, my God, why did I not learn this when I was growing up in America? Like, why did they not teach this? Because mm -hmm. this is real. Like, I want to hear this person's story. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to see these pictures. It's horrible. And I'm crying my eyes out. Yeah. But it's somehow so important. Um, so that's, I think, my draw. I want to hear the people's story. Like, what yeah. was it like for you when I was sitting in America shopping at Walmart and going to <laughs> the grocery store and bitching about somebody not liking my Facebook post? You know, what were you doing here? Yeah. Because yes. honestly, like after you see some of the stuff they go through, I mean, my God, my problems are so stupid. Like, no offense, <laughs> but I my problems that. seem so ridiculous. And um, yeah, it's, it's just um, a very, it's a very humbling, I think, experience. I love that. I want to tell you some things that um, jump out at me. One is, um, it sounds like you're, you're, if I would reframe it, or, or maybe it's not reframing it, but that you're, you're looking for the humanness of it, and the, that connection and, and the, how am I like, like, let me detach from the, the, the messages that are being promoted to me through the press or, exactly. or yeah. the warped American sensibility. And let me just go like, what's the real story? Like we, yeah. we are all human. It's like bringing you this connectedness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think Definitely. what's the other cool thing around that is that, um, you're doing it for yourself. And when I say for yourself, you're not like, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to, and I don't, from what I know about you, it doesn't seem like you've got this agenda to promote. You're just like, it's just providing you peace for yourself in a, in a, in a certain way. Is that a good way to say it perhaps? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, this is the first time I've really shared publicly like the Yemen stories. I'll talk about Egypt all day long. I'll talk about a lot of places all day long. Yeah. I don't share every story everywhere. Because yeah. I don't feel everyone's ready or able to listen to it. To hear that. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I have members of my own family that I would never share these stories to. Yeah. Because of the judging or the, you know, propaganda that they've been fed or, you know, and that's my own family. Like, that's ridiculous to say out loud, but it is. <laughs> it's, it's, so it's, it's the nature of family, I think. Yeah, uh, exactly. Right? So, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, what you're saying is very true. You know, you do find um, it's, a, it's a heavy burden to carry to have seen some of the things I've seen and, and to not be able to help. I feel that's why I'm probably, it's, it's very important to me to be, you know, in this two CCX, you know, that we're, that we're in, yes. I do feel like I cannot help everyone because I can't even help myself. Like I've been homeless for the past two years. Yes. How am I going to help these ladies in, in Yemen or, or, India yes. or whatever? Yes. So, you know, I, I definitely, I was dealing with it in a lot of intense situations for a very long period of time. And then I, when I met my husband, I will say things kind of shifted to, okay, I need to start like helping myself okay. because I, I just can't help them. Yes. You know? 
So uh, would you, I wrote down, are, are you a spiritual person? And I, I look at, I say, yes, but do you consider yourself a spiritual person? I do. Yes. Um, I don't, I don't like have a religion or something like that. I, I sure. think I'm pretty open. I like to learn about all of the religions yeah. um, in an intelligent way. Like I like to know the reasons why they do that. Like I want to know why they wear the, the hijab on their hair or something. I want to know yeah. these things and I want to know the the whys and, and everything about all religions. Um, but yeah, so I am spiritual definitely, but I, I wouldn't say I'm a specific thing. I love that. Thank you for that. And I was thinking as you were telling me, I want to learn about, you know, these things. Why do they women wear the hijabs, if I'm saying that correctly, or these things? And you want to learn it real time. You're like, I don't <laughs> want to read about it in a book. I want to Yeah, learn yeah, exactly. I want to go time. to the lady and I want to ask her and I want to try it on and I want to have her show me how to put it on. I want to walk around for a week wearing it and know what it's like. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I that's that's that. my thinking. <laughs> That's amazing. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing with me this stuff. Um, two, two thought tracks I'm thinking of. One is, um, I gotta know about your husband and how, how do you meet the husband and how does, <laughs> I mean, you're a character. I mean, I say that in a beautiful way. Like, like I, you know, it's that, that little bitch slap for me. Like you prejudge somebody when you like the horsey, right? I'm like, and the depth you bring to the table is outstanding. It's like the kind of depth that I like that I groove on, right? Other people be, might be like, this is, I don't like this stuff, but I love it myself. So mm. thank you. But um, so you've got a husband and is your husband like the, is he along for the ride or like, tell me <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, yeah. He's definitely along the ride. Um, when I so I met my husband in Azerbaijan. Um, he is German and I Of course you did. I had this calling. <laughs> There's okay. this event, it's called the Mongol Rally. You basically buy a crappy car from England, like a scrapyard car, and you drive it from England to Mongolia and, and maybe back again if you make it that far. And so I just had it in my brain, like I'm doing this car rally. And um I couldn't find a teammate, so I actually did it solo which has not really has not been done before. And to be honest, you know, I'm driving through the stands, you know, like Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan. Yes. Okay. Like I know what I'm up against. Cause I lived in India. I lived in Egypt. Like I know what I'm in for. I'm a single blonde girl in a hot pink car, <laughs> which is like going to break down at any moment, probably in the middle of the desert when I don't want it to. And I'm like, ah, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I'm doing this rally and the more East I go, I'm going to say the more intense I become, the more game face I have because, <laughs> okay. because I know what I need to do to survive in these countries, especially male dominated countries. I have to be mindful. I have to be aware. I have to keep the men in check. I'm going through police crossings and border checks, you know, in yes. a hot pink car. So I'm kind of prepared and ready for anything. And my husband, I met him in Azerbaijan. I was waiting five days for a ferry boat and he pulls up. I was waiting for a ferry boat to go into the country of Turkmenistan. So I'm sleeping in my car for five days. And Azerbaijan is a desert country. It's 45 degrees Celsius. There's no toilets for women, of course. Of course. Like, I can't go to the bathroom anywhere. I is have this to, like, like a Datsun little... B210 as well? Or what? I'm, what I'm you... hanging out at the port. Yeah. yeah. Like, And it's like for cargo ships. It's not like a nice, I don't know, westernized ferry terminal. <laughs> Anyways, I'm, right. I'm sleeping in my car for five days. What kind of car is it? Is it a Datsun B210 or like it's, an old? It's a Toyota Yaris. Cell? Okay, a Yaris. Okay. A, a Yaris. Yeah. Just so a 20 year you're old. not sleeping in a Lexus freaking. No, or a, no. Or a... It's a teeny tiny. In America, we don't have cars that small. Just a picture like a Mr. Bean car. It's teeny tiny. 
you can kind of put your seat back to recline and that's it. <laughs> you can't <laughs> and, go to um, the bathroom. Okay, go and, on. <laughs> and I can't go to bed. Yeah, so I'm I'm getting a little bit, let's say, game face. Yes. And in pulls my husband after five days waiting for this furry boat to come. And there's a whole like mob of other rabbits. And I want to say one thing. Hold on, hold that yeah. thought. Game face <laughs> for you is is not game face in America. I got to keep my game face on so I can uh, negotiate a better deal. It's like, I got to get my game face on so I survive. <laughs> so I, I don't get harassed this. by a, another man. Yeah, yeah Yes, exactly. okay, go on. Yeah. And um, anyways, he pulls up and he, he beelines straight for me. And he's, I describe him as Mr. Sunshine. And I'm like very hardcore, very, I don't know, silent, like stoic. Like I say, I'm very opinionated, but I kind of like, I save my words sort of a thing. Okay. And he pulls up and he goes straight to me and he's like all smiley faces and sunshine. He's like, Hey, is there a fairy boat? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's, that's how we met. And um, after that, he, it's funny. So he starts kind of, we, we kept bumping into each other. Is he American and, and or what? What is he's German. Okay. Oh, German. And okay. Yes. We bumped into each other. I think like four or five times in Turkmenistan. And on the fifth time, he just was kind of like, like, Hey, we're going to the same place. Like, yeah. let's just convoy together kind of a thing. And so we start convoying together. And I was kind of convoying with a couple other um, teams at that point. And so he starts sort of tagging along. And he was, and I, I will say, he was chasing me for probably 20 countries. But I was very like, no, I'll never date you. Because he was this adorable little German man who has an office job in Germany. This was his first ever like international travel, like big adventure away from home and I just, I was like in my brain, I couldn't see it, you know, like, yeah. dude, I'm, I'm like this, you like, don't understand. yeah, you don't understand my <laughs> life, you know? And, um, but yeah, he didn't, he didn't give up. And so, yeah, we've now, we've now been married for, I think four years. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, yeah. I love the, my favorite part of that is he chased you <laughs> across 20 yeah, he, countries, he all the stands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> until, until my car engine exploded <laughs> and then we were separated. And um, yeah, I, I had to, I lived in Kyrgyzstan for 12 days trying to find a, the, uh, trying to find an engine for this Toyota Yaris, which this Yaris car does not exist in Kyrgyzstan. Oh my gosh. So I was 12 days alone trying to find an engine. And I, after 12 days, magically found one. The only engine in the entire country uh, had it imported yes. from like 12 hour drive away from a big city. <laughs> and I uh, got my car fixed. So at that point he was already in Mongolia or something. He, he had left me yeah. and, um, and I, I, I um, jumped in my hot pink car and I, I made it to the finish. And so did you have a coffee date arranged or what? How's it? What's next steps after this? You know, He's like, you're finally I, relenting. You're like, fine, we can have a cup of coffee or what? Sort of, sort of. He, so what happened was I, so he, the finish line for this event was in Russia and Ulan Ud on the farther, like Siberia part of Russia. And I actually arrived in Russia. I had been driving like, like a mad woman possessed yeah. Yeah. since I got my car fixed and trying to catch up to my convoy mates. I won't say trying to catch up to him, but that's probably what I was trying to do. Okay. And I okay. arrive in Ulan Ud, Russia. And, you know, at this, you know, when you're driving, you don't have like internet connections. So, so I'm not really keeping in touch, obviously. So I arrive okay. thinking he's there and he's not. He's actually oh. already left. And I missed him by one day. That's how fast I was driving, by the way. <laughs> okay. I missed him by one day. He had a 12 day head start. Wow. And he was driving back to Germany. So 
I actually flew. I was, I booked a trip. So when you missed him for one day, were you, when you, sorry to interrupt you, when you missed him in that moment, were you like, Oh, I miss this guy. I don't think I was going to admit it to myself at that time. <laughs> okay. Not yet. Not yet. You're getting yeah, close. Not though. yet. Okay. All but right. be, he had done something very sweet just before that when I was in Mongolia and I'm, I'm, and, you know, Mongolia is a very intense country to try and drive a, a little car. Um, okay. I, I loved it. It was, it was my, my, um, my jam. Like Mongolia okay. is, is me, you know? Okay. <laughs> and, and so I was in my element, you know, driving on the, they don't have roads, you know, I'm like in these sand dunes and all kinds of crap. Yeah, oh man, I was in my element. And when I got, to this um, town, I did have internet for a little bit, and I got a picture from him. He had kind of spelled out Yaris with all of my kind of rally convoy mates at the uh, finish line yeah. and took a picture and sent it to me. And so I definitely was like, oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, like, oh, so yeah, I missed him by one day. So I booked a flight back to California to go see my parents because at this point I was jobless and homeless. And this is a common theme of my life. And um, <laughs> I didn't have anywhere to go. So I was like, oh, I guess I'll go back to California and see my family for a bit. Yeah. So I booked a flight and I had a stopover in Moscow and he was in Moscow at that time. So he actually picked me up from the airport. Um, we spent a few hours together and then he dropped me back off at the airport so he could drive back to Germany. And then it just so happened when I arrived in California. Um, so I've been working internationally with horses for, for years now. And when I arrived in California, um, one of my coaches from, you know, previous like jobs and, and stuff of, of mine, he sent me a message when I was kind of in the rally, like, hey, there's a FEI level two coaching certification coming up. Like, I'm going to recommend you for it. And then What's I hadn't the heard FEI, from him. FEI? What's the, um, so this is the Federation Equestria International. So it's okay. just kind of for horsey people. Cool. So it just yep. means that I would be applying for a high level coaching. Okay. And the only way you can apply for this is to be recommended by another high level coach. Cool. So he had kind of been messaging me that this coaching was coming and that Amazing. he wanted to recommend me for certification. Yes. So I arrive in California and I get a message from this um, coach of mine. And he's like, you're in you have to come to Greece in two weeks. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, I guess I'm going back anyway. So I flew back and I'm getting to the part where I meet my husband again. Yes, yes. I fly back to Greece. <laughs> I do this coaching um, certification thing. I do get certified. Um, and then I had a flight to Belgium cause I had planned on meeting a friend of mine, but she ended up blowing me off. So I had like an Airbnb and everything. And I was going to fly back to America from Belgium. Yes. Well, Belgium just so happens to be close enough. It was a six hour drive. <laughs> um, so Christian jumped in his car when he found out I was going to be in Belgium. Didn't tell me. And he jumped in his car and he drove straight for Belgium. And he, I woke up in the morning from my Airbnb and I had sent him some kind of screenshot, like where my, the train station was or something. And my little blue dot just happened to be there. You know, I sent him a picture of my map. Yes. So he kind of knew where I was. Yes. <laughs> so I woke up and he sent me a, a message like, go outside. <laughs> and so I go outside and, and there he was. And oh. basically he convinced me to come to Germany with him because um, his roommate just so happened to be moving out and there was going to be a free apartment, like bedroom in his oh. apartment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um. yeah, I, I went back to Germany. And, um, and we stayed in Germany for, for a couple months and then, and then he got this job in England and, and the rest is history kind of the thing. Rest is history. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. That's a beautiful story. I'd love it. I, I, well, uh, first off, let me just say that I think that you're like, 
he's not really adventurer. His first adventure was this <laughs> insane road rally across the um exactly. whatever the Mongolian tundra exactly. or whatever. Yeah. That's unbelievable. <laughs> um so you're from California originally, born and bred California or yeah, I'm from California. Um, I left when I was 16 and I visit like every uh, year, every couple of years to see my family. But my mom actually just moved to Colorado two years ago. So okay. I now don't go to California. I never go visit her in Colorado. <laughs> so, okay, cool. So, uh, so I guess there's some tales to tell there that we don't need to maybe dive into, but 16, you leave strike out on your own. Is that what that means at 16? Um, at 18, I would say I was officially out on my own. Um, I moved, my parents divorced and my dad moved to Oklahoma and there was a horsey school there. A okay. Horsey school. Horsey school. Yes. No, I love that. Uh, the <laughs> so language. I, I so went good. to Oklahoma to go do the horsey school. Okay. That's and when you left California after at 16 that, for I, the horsey school. Yeah, exactly. So I okay. was on my own in my own apartment um, when I was 18. And then after that, I started bouncing around on my own. So I went to West Virginia after that. And then, boom, I was on a plane to my first international job in Belgium when I was 21 years old. And is that when the, the my adventures travel? started? Yeah, yeah, that's when they start 21 years old, Belgium. And you just were like, I have found my groove. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I definitely got addicted. And I um, had very high goals like in my career. So I wanted to chase like the Olympics. I wanted to be a top rider. Mm. Um but yeah, I, I also found myself very addicted to travel and cultures. And so I found myself working in countries that you wouldn't think that you should go there if you want to be an Olympic show jumper. Mm, <laughs> but yeah. that's where I, I went. <laughs> so yeah. Mm, so that was the goal originally, Olympic show jumper. So did you grow up uh, where in California? Obviously, there's you were grew up I with horses. Yeah. No, no, not oh. at all. I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, horses were too expensive. I could only yes. afford to take lessons twice a month. Okay. Um, so every other weekend I had to like pick stalls and stuff to help pay for the lessons. Yes, yes. And then I got my very first job when I was 15 years old at a horse stables and I started working with horses and I knew since I was very little, I was going to work with horses, even though my family told me that's not a real job. Yes. And, yeah. and that's what I did. So I went and I, I worked with horses since I'm 15 years old. Unbelievable. Um, when, uh, so, um, dad brother mother all military so are are yeah. they american military army navy what um my dad and my brother are army well my mom was as well but also like my cousins and my uncles and my grandparents they were all military as well like so basically yeah yeah exactly like so my people. whole family was kind of like you need to join the military <laughs> yes so, yeah i'm That's kind of a black sheep <laughs> yeah you know, what might be interesting, and I don't know enough about, you might have had a broader experience as far as if you want to look at what a military experience would bring you as far as traveling the world, going places, seeing things, perhaps you've had a broader, richer experience through the horses than maybe you would have gotten by joining the military. Yeah, you know, I, I when I worked in Cairo the second time around, there was a, a bunch of Marines that I had met. I was working at a polo club. And I don't remember how I met them exactly, but they knew one of the polo ladies. And I kind of, for some reason, was so fascinated by this group of Marine boys because yeah. they were, they had been living in Cairo for like a year, had never ate an Egyptian food, hadn't even like, they kind of seen the pyramids sort of, but they hadn't 
done anything. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I hadn't gone anywhere, done anything. And I had all these stories. I had my own vehicle at the time. And I was like driving yeah. around in like one of the most dangerous countries to drive <laughs> in my black SUV with tinted windows. And I felt like a badass, you know? Yes. And I was like, John boy. So I had these huge, like six big muscular Marine boys in my car and I'm like chauffeuring them around. And I thought it was hilarious, yes. but I felt like this need to like, no, like, I'm sorry, you cannot know me and not like eat Egyptian food or not see Egypt. So I yes. just started taking them on little adventures and, oh. and they thought it was hilarious. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I know what you mean. Like if I had been, if I had done the military thing, I, I probably would have been like them. Like I wouldn't have left the embassy very often and I wouldn't have spoken Arabic and I wouldn't have, yeah. you know, done all of these fun little adventures. So yeah, yeah it was, it was yeah, interesting. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's like your 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 opportunity to get that rich cultural foot on the street experience, perhaps is limited, right? Would have been limited. Um, do you think? I have a just a we'll tail off with a couple of questions here, but um, do you think clearly your family's military experience helped groom you for sort of? your ability to thrive now. Yeah. Would you say I didn't realize, like, for example, when I was little and you know, when you're growing up, you don't know that other kids don't learn this. You yeah. know what I mean? I would grow up and my parents have to sit in a certain angle to the door so that they can see if bad guys are coming. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like in a restaurant, like, you yes. know, I'm like a little kid, but mommy and daddy have to look for bad guys. Mm -hmm. So you kind of grow up in that environment and you do pick up a lot of things. And I know in my travels, I think that's probably why I am able to stay safe. And I, you know, I had to learn, there was a learning curve with some mm -hmm. cultures and things, but I'm very observant. I'm very aware. And mm -hmm. so I can kind of see when a bad thing might happen yeah. before it happens and then get out of there. So most of the time, I mean, my motto is kind of like avoid it. Like, I don't want to be in the danger. I want to like avoid it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it's definitely helped me stay out of danger a few times. I've had a few close calls where because I was aware and mindful, I yeah. got out of there and yeah. I got out of there safe. Whereas another girl, unfortunately, if she'd been like playing on her cell phone or not paying attention, you know, it could have been very bad. Yeah. 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 I, I have, I'll tell you my arc of like uh, awareness with the military, right? Like as a young person or what have you, it's like the illusion is that everybody in the military is sort of in the front line in the extreme situation, um, you know, fighting, protecting, whatever. Right. But then you learn as you get older. Yeah, no, that's not real. Like that's like one out of 50 of the, yeah, of yeah. the military person is actually in that environment. And so it sounds to me like though your mother and father perhaps were part of that tiny percent that were like, taught for or or in the extreme circumstance is that what i'm hearing from you so my mom is she worked with criminals so she's okay. also a, a parole officer she works with the police kind of um so she worked with rapists and pedophiles so she comes oh. home from work and she takes off her gun and her badge um oh. and that's her day job <laughs> so she had 20 years of of you know murderers and pedophiles and and rapists and you know so definitely like my halloweens were probably a little bit more careful. Yes. <laughs> we actually yeah. had to inspect all of the candy, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, um, that I guess it was definitely, I, I know that my mom had an intense career, but she, you know, we were kids. She didn't yeah. really share it. You know, as adults, yeah. I've come to learn stuff, but as a kid, I mean, you don't really know 
Yeah. But you pick up on some things, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, as I said, like I was kind of learning things that other kids weren't learning. Like I was learning how to get out of a chokehold if someone comes from behind and chokes <laughs> me, you know, and I'm like nine. And I'm like, dad, do I have to, you know, like, when is this going to happen? You know, but that's what I'm, (laughs) and that's what I was learning when I was, you know, nine or 10. So, you know, that's amazing. So what about dad? So dad was, dad was, uh, dad was sort of in the front lines too, in his military experience or. Um, So he was, he didn't, um, he wasn't in combat or something okay. like that. My uncle definitely was in combat. Um, but my dad wasn't in combat that I know of, okay. but he had a rough um, childhood. So he mm. grew up, uh, let's say in a poorer community mm. and always yeah. like fighting and always, mm. you know, kind of in trouble. Yeah. Um, so he was in the military and he was in the army and also a police officer. He was working at a mental institute for the criminally insane. So I do remember he came home from one night. I was like in high school or something. And I came home and he was like burning his clothes or something. I was like, dad, what happened? And he's like, one of those like criminally insane guys escaped. And we had to like tackle him and stuff. And that guy peed on me or <laughs> something like that. Something I was like, like that. Okay, dad. Okay. <laughs> like, whatever. whatever. Rolling my eyes as every 16 year old girl does. And whatever, are, dad. <laughs> are you tight with your uncle? Um, I got to know him when I moved to Oklahoma for this okay. uh, horsey school and he was, uh, in the Marines and okay. he was drafted and I do mean drafted. Um, basically when he was a kid also, you know, obviously my, my dad's brother, um, yeah. had a rough childhood and he was committing a lot of crimes that he shouldn't <laughs> have been. And so the military came up to him and said, Hey, we're having this war in Vietnam and either option a, you go to prison or B mm. you go to Vietnam. And he's like, I'm going to Nam. So yeah. he was, I think, 16 years old. And he went to, to Vietnam. And uh, he didn't share very many stories, but I could tell it was sure. some pretty horrible things. Mm-hmm. So when I went to Vietnam, that I think that was part of my curiosity. I wanted to mm-hmm. go there and see things mm-hmm. um, and kind of learn as much as I could. And I did meet some families when I was in Vietnam that they shared their story. I mean, you know, you'd be surprised what people would tell you if you just yep. ask. Yep. And so Antically, many of the, with like in a non-judgmental yeah. place, people want to exactly. share yeah. that, exactly. that what you're, t- yeah, go on. Yeah. So I did, I met a family in Vietnam. Um, their family had immigrated mostly to America, um, but they had stayed and they, they'd never left um, Ho Chi Minh. They'd never left Vietnam and they, yeah, they just shared with me like what happened while well, they, mm. their family left and they were in the war and you know, everything and how hard it was. And um, it was just very interesting to, to hear, you know? So, yeah. So your, your, your uncle was in Oklahoma. Is that, is that how Oklahoma came about? It was an opportunity. Yeah, he was in yeah. Oklahoma. And so when my parents divorced, my dad, um, wanted to, I think, be near family yep. again. So, Love so that. He, yeah, of course. he left California and went, and I went because of horses, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, but that's, okay. that's what I did. So I stayed in Oklahoma for two years and then I, I moved on. And your brother, younger, older? My brother is younger than me, um, but he stayed in California. So when my parents divorced, he stayed. So I mm. haven't lived with my brother since I was a kid. Mm. Um, so we are not really in touch um, very often, um, yeah. though I have seen him a few times since yeah. I've started traveling around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's also in the army. 
Um, I remember when I was in Egypt. So when I was in Cairo the first time and it was the revolution, um, my brother was in Afghanistan at the same time. And so mm. was his best friend growing up was in Iraq. And then my cousin was in Bahrain. Oh so God. when I was like, I'm going to Egypt, all of my family was kind of like, what? no, we can't lose another one to <laughs> yes. the Middle East. Kind of like, what are you doing to us? <laughs> yes. I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm not fighting. Like, I'm not in the military. Like, I'm yeah. going for horses. Um, so I was in Egypt. And I remember, I mean, my brother was not in combat as well. He didn't leave the base. I think he was just guarding one of the towers or something sure. like that. Which is heavy. Um, I mean, that's heavy. No yeah, yeah, what. definitely. I, like, yeah, but go on. But he wasn't allowed to, you know, interact with the Afghanis or the locals in any way, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and I remember... I wanted to send him something like for Christmas from Egypt. Cause I'm in Egypt. Like we've seen these in the history books, like the pyramids and like, we've been learning about ancient Egyptians since I'm little. Yeah. And I wanted to send him like, I don't know, some kind of present touristy present or something. And he, and I know it's, you know, a little bit of like military brainwashing and stuff. Cause I'm sure like you can't kill someone that you like or you love. You have to have yes. a bit of hatred in order to pull the trigger. I think. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I understand, but he was, you know, an intelligent kid growing up. Like everyone had more hopes for him than me. I think I was kind of the demon child mm. and it it's sad to me, you know, that he kind of refuses to go and, you know, travel or put himself mm. um, outside of his comfort zone. And he just kind of has these pictures of what he sees on the news about a country. And he thinks yeah. that that's it. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it's, it's heartbreaking for me. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and it closes you. I mean, America is the most like mixed international country. Like we have everyone from like every country. Yes. And, you know, uh, there's so many times where I'm in America and I met people from, you know, countries that most people wouldn't have heard of. Yeah. And, you know, because I met, I had one guy, I was playing pool with a friend in Florida and there was these two um, men and they wanted to, you know, kind of play us for the table. We were two ladies and they were very, you know, overconfident men. Yes. And um, one of the guys had an accent. So I just asked him like, oh, where are you from? And he looks at me and he has this like, he kind of sizes me up and he's like, you don't know. And I was like, try me. And he said, I'm from Eritrea. I said, oh yeah, my friend, my roommate was just in Eritrea. He films for the BBC. I was also thinking about going to Eritrea. Can you tell me more about it? <laughs> and his face just immediately changes. And he becomes, yeah. I mean, you know, the rest of the oh. night we were all playing pool and having like a great time. Oh, yeah. But you know that that when you kind of are somewhat educated, like I've not been to Eritrea yet, yeah. but just the fact that I'd heard of his country and he had sized me up and he was he looked like an idiot in that moment when I knew, yeah. you know, he he just immediately was like, oh my God. Like I can actually talk <laughs> about oh, my home, yeah. you know? So, you know, I kind of wish that for, for my brother, like if not yeah. for going to those countries, you don't have to do what I do, but like, there's so many people in America that you could connect with and meet just, just because you have heard of, of their country or, you know, how to say hello in their language or, you that's know, so like beautiful. just the most basic thing, but yeah. You know what? That's so beautiful. I thank you for that. I just, I really just in this moment, and I, I kind of have the chills, I'll be perfectly honest with you, just the awareness of how diverse America is and the illusion that it's not, right? It's like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, <clears throat> excuse me, but like, like if we would just lighten up a little bit and open our minds just a little, like the access to uh, beautiful, poignant moments like that 
Mm. But there's a lot more of that out there for available available for us in this country, I think is how oh, I would yeah. say that. You Definitely. Know? And, so. and, you know, like I said, I mean, his, his demeanor towards me just went a complete 180 yeah. because he just wanted to be heard and he didn't want to say where he was from and have like somebody, you know, insult him or be ignorant or, you know, say something rude or whatever, you know, so just that kind of relief that went over his face, like, Oh my God, she gets it. And I can let my guard down and I can be real and I can be authentic and and give you my experience and you're going to appreciate it related like it. Yeah. Tell me. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, so now you're trapped in. <laughs> Where are you trapped in again? I've lost track after all these I'm countries. In Germany, <laughs> Germany, in Germany, in a town that in was... the Eastern Wall. Yeah. <laughs> in the Eastern Wall. Oh my yeah. gosh! So, what's uh, t- like any vision of what's next, or are you like I'm trapped and I have no idea? I, I, I mean, tell me. Every month, I'm telling myself, "Oh, the borders are going to come." Down. <laughs> um, wow. So currently, I had found a place to stay in Italy, like an apartment that has our um, a field for our horses, so we could okay. all be there happily. Um, so I found a place um, through kind of a friend of a friend on the internet on Facebook, yeah. um, but I haven't been able to go and see it in person, obviously. So right now, I'm just kind of in limbo. Um, just sort of waiting until mm. I can go and inspect things. Cause obviously now I have horses that I have to be responsible for as well. Like it's not just mm. take my suitcase and go, I have to find a place for them priority yes. and make sure that I can get them hay and food and you know, whatever it is that they need. Um, <laughs> so that's a, a bit of a challenge to try and find like houses with uh, just hey. a plot of a field for them. But, can I ask you uh, a yeah. question? Yeah. <laughs> I get the sense that if you're like, Hey hubby, um, what's your husband's name again? <laughs> Christian. Christian. You're like, hey, Christian, I found a place for me and the horses. I'm I'm scurrying away. <laughs> so I'll see you in six months when you can catch up. Like that's an option. He knows that it is as well. I've had I've had date. He was in the office and I'll just call him and like, hey, I booked a ferry. And he's like, a ferry? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm driving to the Netherlands tomorrow. And he's like, okay. <laughs> do you have a round trip? <laughs> so as long as I have a round trip, um, <laughs> yeah, he, he's okay. He's kind of used to that. But yeah, he does like to come with me on on my adventures as well. So amazing, Christian. Uh, sorry, Crystal, you are beautiful. You are truly beautiful. I am just. This is unbelievable. Um, how old are you? Thirty one now? Is that right? I'm thirty one. Thirty one. I'm thirty one. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And just getting started. I am in shock right now. I'm just like, this is unbelievable. 31. Yeah, and just... it's... When my when I moved to England and I obviously I got married, almost every person I know from America on my Facebook was like, oh, my God, she's normal now. Like, oh, my God, she's finally settling down. And yeah, they had no idea. <laughs> that's so so amazing. Yeah, that's, that's just God, me. God bless you. Um, tell me when. So so. Um, People can find you. How can people find you, Crystal, if they want to follow your tales or where can they find you out there on the interweb? (laughs) (laughs) So I do have a YouTube channel where I I do a lot of videos about my horsey adventures, like the ride across Ireland. Um, Equestrian Adventuresses is the best way to find me. So on my website, I also have a podcast, Equestrian Adventuresses, and then my YouTube channel. And then, you know, we have a book series and all kinds of things. So you can read about it, you can listen to it, or you can watch it. Fantastic. And I want to tell the audience that whenever I watch a video of yours, I cry. 
And you, I mean, it's like you tap into something that just the humanity and the, it's beautiful. So you, you do. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm happy yeah. to hear it. Sometimes you post things and you never know if, if anyone finds it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do have people, they'll like message me, you know, on the internet, like, oh my God, in my next life, I want to be you or yeah. you know, yeah. like you've inspired me and now I want to ride horses or whatever it is. So, you know, you just got to keep, keep sharing. Got to keep sharing. Um, God, gosh, this has been amazing. I'm going to hit stop on the record and then uh, we can say goodbye. Perfect. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you for spending time with me today. As someone who is committed to growth and service to this world, I so appreciate your willingness to come with me, go within, and serve our world through change. If you found value in this podcast and you know someone who can use this message, share this episode with them. Share it so our mission can be achieved one episode at a time. And of course, subscribe so you can hear more. And lastly, for more resources on what has helped me on my journey and can help you on yours, go to belove.media forward slash resources. That's B-E-L-O-V-E dot media forward slash resources. Thank you again for listening.